0: We tore apart virtually everything, how we did everything, how we trained, how we hired, how we developed, you know, those two really taught me and a lot of people in our company how to apply that structure and and how to allow your core values and your mission statement and those types of things to really guide everything within your business decision making, etc. So couldn't be more grateful uh, that those two and they're truly just amazing and exceptional leaders within our company.
1: This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. As the
2: CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, You've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V I S T A G E.com. Welcome, MainBiz listeners. I'm Renee Cordes with the MainBiz podcast team. Today, we'll hear from Jeff Buckwalter, co-owner and CEO of The Holy Donut, a family-owned maker and retailer of fresh potato donuts based in Portland. We'll hear from Jeff how the company overhauled its business model during the pandemic in some surprising ways, including limited distribution at Hannaford grocery stores, as well as its ongoing expansion. Jeff, great to have you on our show. Thank you for joining us.
0: Of course, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: Sure. So first of all, to get us started, introduce us to the Holy Donut.
0: Yeah, the Holy Donut. We're a a local family-owned artisan donut shop. Uh, We make Maine potato donuts from scratch every day, the old-fashioned way. Uh, We have three shops, one in Portland, uh, Scarborough, and in Auburn, Maine. And we take a great deal of pride in providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for our teammates to grow and for our guests to enjoy a, what we call a wholesome, one-of-a-kind, nostalgic treat when we make them by hand with quality ingredients.
2: And I believe I read somewhere your your annual volume in a normal year is like uh, one million donuts or something.
0: Yeah, a bit north of that. I think in, in 2019, we were just over a couple million donuts a year.
2: That's that's quite a bit. Uh, You guys also have just an amazing amount of flavors, uh, maple, very main and, you know, coffee cake one. So what what are some of the top sellers?
0: Oh, gosh, I think certainly our, our top sellers almost always are dark chocolate sea salt. Donut, uh, which is fantastic, Uh, lemon, maple, maple, bacon, uh, sweet potato, ginger glaze. We have a lot of uh, seasonal flavors as well. Our blueberry and our apple are quite popular. And we traditionally have about six or seven doughs that we'll have in circulation, including vegan and gluten-free options. And then we get really creative with the glazes as well.
2: Great. And tell us a little bit about your background before you joined the Holy Donut.
0: Sure. I'd spent 10 or 11 years in the uh, in the hotel and hospitality industry, and it kind of kept me traveling a lot, a great deal, in fact, and uh, really was missing out on, on seeing my kids as they were growing up. And so, you know, I, I decided it was kind of time for a change, and that kind of meshed with uh, the Holy Donut's need for a little bit of help.
2: And this is your your in-laws'
0: family business, right? Yeah, Uh, Lee Kellis, uh, she was the founder of of our company. uh, And that's my wife, Elizabeth's sister. And it's really uh, been a family affair since day one. You know, Lee started this very humbly in her kitchen, playing around with the recipe and and really tweaking it and really hitting it out of the park with her cinnamon sugar donut, which was kind of the one that started all the craziness here. Shortly after her kind of getting a couple of wholesale businesses underway or accounts rather, she, my father-in-law just kind of showed up one day, Alan Kellis, and helped her deliver and kind of a wholesale business was kind of born and Whole Foods uh, came on board after a few other local coffee shops. Coffee by Design was where it were the folks that gave uh, Lee a first shot, which were were very grateful to Alan and Mary Allen for for doing so. I think it was March of 2012, uh, they decided they they wanted to open a a retail outlet. And so my father in law, my wife and Lee kind of got the place going. My wife or uh, my mother in law, rather, put up her life savings to finance to build out. And so it was, uh, like I said, very much a family affair from day one.
1: Right.
2: And and still is. And when you joined the company, what did the business look like? I think that was in August 2013.
0: Yeah, that's when I came aboard. And so they had, you know, not quite a full year under their belt uh, at the Park Avenue store. And they initially had very good uh, response from the community and they kind of had a hankering. They wanted to open a store in the old port. And so, you know, my father-in-law would frequently talk to me about, you know, geez, we want to bring you into the business. We could really use the help and really didn't make sense. They were a single store. And even when, you know, we opened uh, the the second store in the old port on Exchange Street, you know, there wasn't, you know, wasn't really a lot of money to go around. There was still a fledgling brand new business. And so, yeah, it was a little bit of a swallow hard moment. Um, While I wasn't, you know, initially enjoying my previous career, I, I, you know, it provided a good living for my family. And so Elizabeth and I kind of, you know, got together, swallowed hard, and decided uh, to cut our household income in half and take the leap of faith into the business and go for broke.
2: Take the plunge, and it was yeah. a, a, still a, quite a small young company at the time that you joined, right?
0: Indeed, yeah. I think uh, from a brick and mortar standpoint, you know, they had uh, they were nine, nine or ten, eight or nine months uh, under their belt uh, at that point. Um,
2: Okay so still uh, still a startup very much and oh, yes, you had a number of different roles didn't you at the company so what was like your first week or your first month like
0: It was really just about understanding the food business you know I'd never worked a day in, in a restaurant really in my life and let alone managed one and so just very quickly trying to learn every position uh, within the company and so spending a lot of time behind the scenes learning how to make donuts and what donuts are all about and really just You know, making sure I could learn every single position within the company and be as helpful as I could.
2: Right. And then early on, I believe you also had an unfortunate um, accident uh, (laughs) in in the kitchen, I think. Is that right?
0: Uh, That's accurate. Yeah, it was actually i guess both fortunate and unfortunate as it turned out so when we opened up on exchange street and first and foremost i mean we just you know as a young company none of us being business owners we didn't know we didn't know and so we really had no business in retrospect opening a second location we didn't have our first one on lock yet but and we were opening at a very inopportune time we opened on halloween actually uh, of 2013 which is at the tail end of the season, which isn't the greatest time in the old port to be starting a new business. But like I said, you know, we just didn't know we didn't know. And so on day one, our fryer ended up breaking shortly into the day. And so we were pulling in donuts from our Park Avenue store. And then, you know, at the end of the day, had to make a trip down to Boston to pick up a fryer. That was the closest one we could find on that short of notice. And so we're bringing it in in the evening or whatever, nine or 10 o'clock at night. It had been a super long day to that point. And it was raining and we were bringing it through the, the threshold at the back door of the restaurant. And I had slipped on the flooring and dropped it on my ankle. Uh, and so it crushed all the bones of my ankle. And uh, thankfully Lee was there and was able to lift it in a kind of a feat of strength uh, off of me. And uh, it was a, it was an arduous day to, to be sure. But so that laid me up for a while. So I really couldn't make donuts. And so after surgery, you know, Uh, only thing i could really do was start really diving into the guts of the business and you know at that time we were still very much a, a mom and pop kind of shoebox business and we needed a lot of structure and we didn't have things like job descriptions and employee handbooks. And, you know, (laughs) we didn't have any financials. Uh, There was really no GLs or anything of that nature. And so that's really what I started to dive into and found that, you know, we were really selling a lot of our product at a loss. We really hadn't didn't have an understanding at that point, what it cost to make the the product. We were selling wholesale at a fairly significant loss. And so it was fortunate uh, because we were really going broke. Um, And didn't really know it. And so in that regard, you know, we may have just kind of kept making donuts, not understanding, you know, that we were really not making money. Uh, And so it was it was it was very fortunate in in the long run uh, that that happened. And it forced me to to look at, you know, some more pressing matters within the business.
2: So fast forward to say early 2020, just pre-pandemic. And I know the company has had this major growth trajectory. So where was the company at, at the start of 2020?
0: Uh, Start of 2020 was really great. You know, for me, it was really focusing on, you know, infrastructure and understanding that we had something here that, that we could continue to grow. And it was interesting. So I had joined a Vistage group in 2018, I believe. And so uh, which was hugely valuable for me. And I had a lot of mentors and uh, SCORE was one of them. Nancy Strone, was integral uh, in my development as a leader and CEO. And she, um, so at that point in time, it was clear that, you know, it was really trying to do too much with too little. And so, you know, the revenues were great. We had three stores. Uh, we had opened up Scarborough uh, with a drive through in 2017, starting to grow And really, you know, again, so we really need to start working on, you know, more organization, more structure, and really building that infrastructure to support the growth that we had in mind for it. So I had hired two really critical hires. I hired uh, Ryan Howe, who is now our Director of Business Operations, and Jen Horton, who is our HR Director. And I I don't believe I've made two more important hires in our company. Um, They really came in and helped us organize structure. It was clear we needed to, you know, we had core values and we had a mission statement, but I think like most companies, they kind of lived in a handbook and they were dusty and nobody lived by them and they weren't doing their job. And so, you know, we tore apart virtually everything, how we did everything, how we trained, how we hired, how we developed. And really, you know, those two really taught me and a lot of people in our company, how to apply that structure and and how to allow your core values and your mission statement, and those types of things to really guide everything within your business, decision-making, et cetera. So couldn't be more grateful uh, that those two, and they're truly just, you know, amazing and exceptional leaders within our company. And they, so they really were, you know, really refining everything, getting prepared to grow. We put a hard stop on everything, no more new stores, no more new products. And until we really had things better ironed and fleshed out and really kind of, you know, remove some of that gray, from expectation and provided clarity to our team and, and, and uh, on what we were, where we were going and, and what it is we were doing. And so that's really kind of the, the place we were at in early 2020 prior to the pandemic hitting.
2: And how many employees about at that time? Sort
0: of? uh, that was, I mean, uh, our, our employee count ebbs and flows with the season. So at that time, I during the summer, we'd be around 100 employees. And at that time of year, kind of the doldrums for us, which is j- January, probably in the mid 60s uh, in that neighborhood.
2: So what were then your sort of plans pre, pre-COVID, your business plans for the year?
0: Yeah, business plans for the year was to continue opening uh, another location or two. We had, you know, really spent the last year and a half prior to that, really, you know, like as I said before, really kind of creating the infrastructure uh, and the base for growth and refining a lot of the things that we do in virtually every corner of the business. And we had just, I guess in February, um, mid-February, we had a transaction within the the family uh, where Cynthia and Lee redeemed some of their shares. And I was able to purchase some of Lee's shares and Lee's just, you know, a consummate entrepreneur, full of ideas, terribly creative and talented and uh, really was looking to kind of spread her wings and go do some other things and uh, allowed for my wife and I to to become majority owners and continue to kind of push and run and, and grow the business and for Cynthia to to retire a bit, uh, which she had earned. And um, so it was, we just kind of finished that, transaction and then the world fell apart right
2: exactly exactly so covid march 2020 you know what what was sort of weighing on you at that time as a a business leader and a co-owner with now even a bigger stake in the company
0: yeah it was just you know it was the ultimate gut punch really and we were just you know how are we going to navigate through this but you know fortunately you know i couldn't take my hand off anymore to our team and our culture we have such a resilient positive team that at the end of the day we we, we made some more good decisions than bad we certainly weren't perfect and but yeah we just you know immediately you know gathered uh everybody around our senior leadership team again i couldn't imagine having to go through this without jen and ryan they were just fantastic and behaved like leaders and, and owners throughout the whole deal and uh, um, we did what was required to keep our doors open and to keep the cash register ringing. And so quickly adapting to getting online ordering for curbside pickup going, getting delivery going with Grubhub and Uber Eats and those things that we hadn't historically done. And then kind of making that decision to, you know, follow the people and grocery stores were jamming. So we needed to start knocking on some doors and uh, get our product into Hannaford, which we ultimately did.
2: We'll get to more of that detail in a minute. Did you guys also get some uh, PPP money like, I think? Yes,
0: certainly we did. I think that was my my first and foremost focus. Once those types of things started coming online, yeah. Which was terribly stressful. That first round of PPP was just a nightmare. Nobody knew what was going on, or, you know, the SBA wasn't sure, or, you know, the banks really couldn't give us clarity because they didn't have it. And so it was the first line I've ever signed where I didn't have crystal clarity on the rules of engagement. And so that certainly was a leap of faith and lots of, you know, late nights trying to hopefully get the application in before the servers crashed. And that just applied a whole lot more stress to to business owners trying to navigate. I mean, because everybody was kind of building the plane as they're trying to fly it, right? Um,
2: right, including the bankers. <laughs> yeah,
0: everybody, nobody, you know, was really knew what was going on or how we we're prepared to to really handle and manage this. And so, you know, taking a step back on the daily and just making sure that we were making good decisions that were in our company's best interest and, and that previous exercise of really refining our mission and vision statement, our core values was critical. We leaned on those so heavily throughout our decision-making process, and there was you know no clarity out there. And so we really had to, you know, lean on those things. And you know, early on, I kind of decided to look at all of our decisions through a prism of okay, if I had to stand up at in the aftermath of all this and, and tell my team why I did what I did, maybe at the company Christmas party, or stand in front of a reporter, could I do that? And so that really helped frame our decisions and what we had to do going forward.
2: I know you said, you know, your locations were sort of open off and on. And I think your your top line was way down. So, what? yeah,
0: we ended 2020 at a 40% reduction to our top line. Our Exchange Street store just got crushed. Um, their top line was, you know, down 70%.
2: Yeah and so you mentioned Hannaford. so let's you know touch on that as well so when did those talks start and how did you approach them
0: I want to say this talks started in maybe late March early April somewhere in that na- neighborhood and thankfully I mean Hannaford was very receptive to us and but we you know we didn't you know undertake manufacturing to that degree in that packaging you know and so there was sure. Really quickly, we had to figure it out, and you know that fell on our Scarborough staff. And so we ended up commandeering uh, the front of house and the and the dining room for for packaging and production room, and and staffing that appropriately, and kind of you know figuring out our packaging, which was really expensive at first because we just needed to get cash flowing into the business. And, and you know ultimately, we refined that over a bit of time. Um, we we started with six locations in the Portland area, and now I think we're up to. 10 locations in the surrounding area. And uh, it's been very good for us.
2: And yeah. what about when you guys first sat down? Because, I mean, they're a big corporation. Mm. You know, probably some bureaucracy. You guys are a family-owned business. So was there, you know, a, a meshing of, of minds?
0: I mean, so it was, you know, there, there's certainly a, you know, Hayes is a monster, right? They're a very big company, but we, you know, we felt good that they, you know, they had that local feel here in New England and we felt it was right uh, for us and our brand. We felt like Hannaford was the preferred destination for us in that regard.
2: Okay. And had you thought about other retailers as well, or did Hannaford, was that your first choice? Did they come? To
0: Hannaford the- was our first choice. And we had been in Whole Foods as well prior to that, but with right. In Whole Foods, we were a single serve in their bakery section, which, you know, when the pandemic struck, that was out. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, we really didn't, you know, we, we decided on Hannaford and that's where we made our deal
2: okay and when you you made this deal i mean did you feel a sense of relief or was there also some uncertainty because this is brand new territory for you guys yeah
0: a bit of both for sure and also you know one of our i think our biggest concern was you know our product you know we use all natural ingredients no dyes no anything and and we don't use any preservatives and Mm -hmm. so that was a, a you know a challenge for us so we had to pick you know, the flavors that would stand up to a day and a half of shelf life. And at Hanford's, you know, we, we, you know, we eat all the shrink and so managing those numbers very carefully and ensuring that we chose the right donuts and the right flavors with the right moisture content that, that could withstand a day and a half on the shelf as we're in there every day replenishing with fresh product.
2: Great. Well, we are now going to take a very short break and hear from one of our sponsors, and then we'll hear a bit more detail about what happened next.
1: Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before, which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org.
0: I want to say it was about two months from start to finish. And so, you know, certainly there's, you know, some red tape and some hoops to get a jump through when you're doing business with an entity the size of Hannaford. And so going through all those different steps, uh, I want to say it was a couple of months between first kind of touches and getting our product in the store.
2: We are back talking to Jeff of the Holy Donuts. So uh, Jeff, you were just telling us about your new partnership with Hannaford and having to pick the the right donuts that would stay fresh in packaging for a day and a half. So how did you make that decision? What research went into that?
0: Um, It's really, you know, which of our products and we know through the years, you know, we all kind of bring some donuts home or we have folks that will pick donuts up at the end of the day, which will donate to their causes and they can sell them and for a bake sale or for, for a, a drive of some kind. So we knew, you know, our dark chocolate sea salt A is certainly our most popular, but our chocolate-based donuts tend to, to hold their moisture content a little better. And so we went through kind of our lineup and decided, you know, what made the most sense for us in, in terms of the product that would withstand, a, you know, a day and a half on the shelf. and. And unbeknownst to us, that the packaging was really challenging. You know, we have a donut, and that you know they're they're fried, and so we got to make sure there's no bleed coming through the box. And okay. um, Ryan Howe, again, our director of business operations, was integral uh, in finding the right packaging components and uh, allowing us to to get this deal done in pretty short order. I mean, I thought it would take months, but really, I mean, you know, our, our heads off to Hannaford, they were really helpful in helping us get this to market rather quickly. And our team, I mean, just had a huge ask of our team on top of everything else, we're gonna start something brand new on short notice. And we're going to use the dining room, our scruples <laughs> store to get it done. Um, Turn it into
2: a, a bigger manufacturing facility, and yeah. Impacted.
0: And so you know, which you know, logistics were impacted and deliveries, and you know, we had to find get a new van, and so it was, you know, wasn't you know as 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 is the case. Nothing. It wasn't as easy as we anticipated, but um, we have a resilient and creative team, and they figured it out.
2: And was it difficult to get supplies for the packaging? Because, you know, supplies were impacted in in other areas. Um... We
0: hadn't, no, the supply chain hadn't really impacted that yet. I mean, we were still at the very beginning. You know, this was April, May. Um, We were kind of uh, getting this initiative going. It was really about finding the right packaging at the right pricing point and buying, you know, in enough volume that it would make sense. And then ultimately about midway through the campaign, you know, we had, you know, proper packaging printed. And because we incurred a lot of labor, we weren't making a lot of money uh, early on on that (laughs) endeavor. It was really just cash flowing for us. But once we were able to refine some of our production methods and packaging, then the margins started to get a little bit healthier.
2: And I believe you chose, there were three donuts in a package, right? With a see-through top on it.
0: Yes, that's correct. And so we we chose the the, the mark of three. We felt young. Know, that was kind of the happy medium. Maybe six uh, would be you know prohibitive for people to try, but three allowed for us. Uh, I think a sweet spot there. And we found a we settled on a pricing point that made sense for us and for Hanover.
2: And did you have to buy any new machine or or extra equipment, or could you do it? No,
0: we really just. I mean, we had to buy you know more uh, new packaging supplies and really just had to hire people and we we did this on it was kind of a a throwback to the old days of just figuring it out and doing it from a very grassroots captain standpoint
2: and how many sort of trial runs did you do before you you know figured out the packaging part of it
0: oh gosh there had to be (laughs) (laughs) a lot (laughs) Uh, there's always you know a little problem that crept up here or there I want to say we had maybe five or six different iterations of, of, of the type of packaging that we would ultimately kind of settle with um, to make it work.
2: Okay. And then um, you had to bring in some extra people as well.
0: We did. We had to, uh, you know, kind of readjust and, you know, thankfully, you know, we had, you know, a lot of our, certainly our, our, our Scarborough, excuse me, our uh, Exchange Street store you know, was the most heavily impacted. And so we were able to transfer some from some teammates from one location to the other okay. and fill some of those gaps uh, to allow for us to, to be able to take on this initiative.
2: And you said this uh, went sort of relatively quickly or at least quicker than you thought. Was it a a matter of weeks or till you got all this? I want
0: to say it was about two months from start to finish. And so, you know, certainly there's, you know, some red tape and some hoops to get a jump through when you're doing business with an entity the size of Hannaford. And so going through all those different steps, uh, I want to say it was a couple of months between, you know, first kind of touches and getting our product in the store.
2: Okay. And then, so you started at six stores because you wanted to make it manageable, not have too many stores. Is that right? I mean, Correct. Hanford has a lot more stores than six. So how oh, did yes. you decide on that number?
0: You're exactly right. We wanted to make it sure it was manageable and, and not take on too much too quickly. And we didn't know, you know, a, we, we surmised that, that, you know, they would do pretty well in the store, but just six felt comfortable particularly with, you know, distribution that we did ourselves uh, in terms of currying our components for our product between the stores. We felt like that was a doable number.
2: And how many uh, sort of donuts or packages were there in that first run or the first week? Or can you give us an idea of the uh, volume?
0: We were starting at about 35 units a day at a- each store. And that would ebb and flow. And you know, we had some stores that performed better than others. But that's, you know, round about that, that time, you know, it was, and then it crested uh, during the course of the summer. And then it started to really mimic the ebbs and flows of our, our seasonality at the store level. Uh, Once the tourists kind of left, the numbers dipped a bit, a bit during the winter months. And now we're picking up steam here again, as uh, the tourists are are showing back up.
2: Right. And you mentioned pricing. So was that entirely, how did you guys determine the pricing? Because obviously this was a different distribution channel.
0: Yeah. We wanted to make sure that we didn't, you know, cannibalize our retail uh, efforts. So we wanted to ensure that the price that a customer could get three donuts for was exactly the same price um, that they could come to the store and get it for.
2: Okay. Okay. And did you have any say over where the products would be placed in the stores?
0: Yes and no. I mean, thankfully, Hannaford did, you know, just a wonderful job at giving us preferred placement in their bakery section. And so, you know, we would make recommendations in terms of maybe we would do better a little bit over here versus over here. But they were really flexible and did a great job at getting us placement that, that, that we found to be agreeable.
2: And how did the first deliveries go? Were, were there any sort of hiccups? That well, there's always
0: hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> anything we're doing, anything for the first time, there's always uh, some hiccups and snafus along the way. But overall, I mean, our team was really well prepared. Ryan really had them ready to rock by the time it was go time. And so much fewer uh, hiccups than maybe we had thought initially. So it really went off very cleanly.
2: Good. And, and once you were in Hannaford, for you, was that a sense of relief or also some, you know, uncertainty about what, how they would do?
0: Yeah, it was certainly a sense of relief. And so we were all kind of going to the stores after work or before work, kind of seeing how they were doing and, you know, really keeping an eye on it. And it was, it was kind of a new baby for us, right? We wanted to, you know, make sure that it was presented well, it was displayed and merchandised well, but it was really cool to kind of swing by there at the end of the day and and see them almost empty. So that that told us that it was working.
2: Right. So uh, that answers the next question, how how sales went and, you know, was it enough to make up for sort of business lost elsewhere when locations were closed? Uh,
0: Sales were good. I mean, I think it were better than we had forecasted for sure. But no, it didn't make up for the losses uh, that we had from a retail standpoint, particularly, you know, at at exchange being down 70 percent. And but it but it helped.
2: Yeah. Good and so there were lots of other stuff going on too, and and lots of changes too. In October twenty twenty, you guys you talked about closing the Exchange Street location, yeah, uh, which was such an anchor of of uh, Portland's Old Port. So was that a hard decision to make?
0: Yeah, that was really tough. I mean, that you know we had had that store in place since you know Halloween of twenty thirteen. So it was you know we've been there for seven years and it became a, a staple in the Old Port, and so. To look at the reality of having to close that shop, that was a swallow hard moment, but it was the right move. And we were also, you know, looking to get into a better space for us. You know, we really outgrown that a number of years prior, and it was really also kind of stepping on the guest experience. And the lines were cool and and all that, but we really owed our customers a, a better location to serve them from. Uh, so we did decide to close in October, uh, and we found a subtenant to occupy the space until our lease ran out in February.
2: Amazing! And how is the company doing now?
0: Our company is doing good now. We're, we're we're rebounding, and we're prepared to grow. As I mentioned earlier, we're opening on our. We're in the middle of fitting up our commercial street location, 177 Commercial, the former Bill's Pizza. We'll be open in July this year. And last week we just closed on a loan to. Uh, on our own property in Arundel uh, that will house a production facility because we are really maxed out at our Scarborough commissary store. And we'll have an additional retail location there as well with uh walk up and drive through. So we're we're excited. We're ready to uncoil the spring and get back to growing our brand.
2: Great. And will you be in more Hannaford stores?
0: We will. They're asking us to go into a lot of them, um, but we, we're, we're capacity constrained at the moment. So uh, once we have our production facility up and running, that'll allow for us to go into more Hannafords as well.
2: All right, we'll just break for another uh, short word from our sponsors, and then we will wrap up the interview. A business plan. You had one, and then you had to rework that plan and rework the rework. At Norway Savings, our commercial lending team knows that work. The nights, the weekends, the constant pivot. And since we've been there, it only makes sense to be here, helping you every step of the way mastering the art of business norway savings live your life in color
0: things were changing day by day sometimes hour by hour and you didn't have clarity right there was anything but clarity and so again not panicking in those situations and then again leaning on our our mission statement and core values
2: we are back Wrapping up this interview with uh Jeff Buckwalter of The Holy Donut. Jeff, tell us your outlook for 2021. Sounds pretty upbeat.
0: Yeah, we couldn't be more excited. You know, we're gonna have our hands full this year for certain. Um, and opening well in 2020, we'll have by the year's end, we'll have opened three stores and a production facility. So we're taking a pretty big bite at the apple, but we're ready. And we're prepared, and our team is prepared, and we're excited. And you know, we're already seeing. I mean, I was just down at our Commercial Street location the other day, and we're you already have to hunt for a parking spot, which is fantastic. And I'm not sure <laughs> that's I ever good news. would be uh, touting that and be happy about that, but that's the, the the truth of the matter. It's great to see the trolley uh, with tourists on it already down there, and so very optimistic about Portland and our season and Maine in general. I think people are are pent up a little bit and they're ready to get out and get back to living their lives. And so we're excited to be a part of that.
2: Exciting. And so now looking back, you know, this whole experience, having to innovate, change your business model, uh, you know, get into a grocery store. What are some lessons that you take from this experience, you know, as a company leader that you can apply post-pandemic?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I think for, I mean, first and foremost, I think I learned the value of having a, a really strong and resilient team in a culture where you focus on positivity and solution. I mean, this team is really the reason that, that we were able to make it through uh, the pandemic and I'll be poised to grow and, and really couldn't be more grateful. So I think ensuring that you're building a very strong solution minded team within your organization and just, you know, that, that value of a can do attitude within your culture. We we certainly have that in space and we're fortunate to have that and to have the team that we do, you know, certainly throughout the pandemic, it goes out saying, you know, we're fortunate that we had some, some dry powder in reserves for when the wind blows sideways, very <laughs> grateful <laughs> to have had that uh, to allow for us. I mean, cause this thing really hit, you know, at the end of, I mean, for people in Maine and Southern Maine in particular, you know, at the end of, February, March, you know, that's really when most people in the food industry are running on a little bit of fumes and waiting on, you know, the the tourists to come back in here. So very fortunate uh that we were frugal with our capital and we had some money to go around. But also we had with everything going so fast, we really making really quick decisions. Things were changing day by day, sometimes hour by hour, and you didn't have clarity, right? There was anything but clarity. And so you know again not panicking in those situations and then again leaning on our on our mission statement and core values and you know just learning the value of leaning on your team and making sure you have people who are resilient uh, i keep using that word to describe our team and our culture but nothing you know sways them they 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 absolutely you know look at the issue look at the the problem and 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 look to find a solution we they don't spend any time him and hawing or or feeling bad about the situation that we're in let's just get busy trying to find a solution and that's what they do
2: Right, and any you know change that you experience personally, you know, as your approach to management or the way that you run the company because of having gone through this.
0: Another great question. You know, certainly, I've had to learn. I'm I'm a person that 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 tends to wear, you know, my emotions on my sleeve, and you know, during this time, being the, the person in charge of. Uh, the company was daunting. And I think early on in the early days of March, you know, my senior team had to remind me, gosh, you're wearing this a little bit. And so I, I really had to take a step back and understand that, you know, you know, every movement that I make and, and every phrase that other is really important. And um, I'm thankful that my team was able to say, hey, we're all stressful here and you're wearing this a little bit. And I need, you know, we need you to wear, wear it a little bit differently in, in this stressful mm-hmm. moment. Hire good people and let them run their departments. At the end of the day, Ryan, Jen and our GMs, you know, certainly didn't try to mic- micromanage and nor should I, but that's the reason I hired really good and really talented people. They, they own their areas of responsibility and I allowed them to run with that.
1: The Day That Changed Everything is a production of Maine Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The MainBiz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.